It's the Skinny Podcast, only on Local12.com. Now, here's Richard Skinner. Welcome into another Skinny Podcast, the weekly potpourri edition. I'm Richard Skinner, Local12.com, digital sports columnist and editor, along with Rick Boring. Each week, we look at uh, topics locally, topics nationally, make our betting picks, in which I'm killing it in college basketball, and I'm, mm, eh, in college football and the NFL. And we've got a special guest coming up just to start the show. Rick? That's right. Chad Brendel, owner of BearcatJournal.com, joins us to talk a little bit of UC Bearcats, and we'll start on the basketball side of things. Cincinnati went 2-1 and one at the Paradise Jam to finish third at the event. The Bearcats snuck out a 66-65 win over Illinois State in the first round before losing 91-84 to Bowling Green in overtime and pulling out an 81-77 win over Valparaiso in the consolation game. Jaron Cumberland only played nine minutes in the second half against Bowling Green and then missed the Valpo game due to toe and ankle injuries. Chad, we'll start here. Is it time for Bearcat fans to panic? I saw a lot of consternation on social media this weekend. No, it's not time to panic. They they aren't playing particularly. They didn't play particularly well at this event, obviously. But David Cumberland got hurt early in the first game. Jaron Gumberland got hurt the second game, missed the third game. Yeah, 21 missed free throws. Yeah, 21 missed free throws. Uh, Chris McNeil just absolutely melting down down the stretch at the free throw line of the Illinois State or the Bowling Green game. Um, I mean, there's going to be, with a new coach and a new system and, and changing the way that everything is being done inside the program, there's going to be bumps in the road. And then you add injuries on top of that that they've had to deal with. Uh, it, it hasn't been talked about much, but backup center Jay Sirola has a broken bone in his foot. He's out three to four weeks. He missed the entire event. So it, was, it, it wasn't it was pretty. Somehow they managed to get out of there two and one. Uh, they very easily could have been 0-3. That would have been, if you were calling me and they were 0-3, yeah, okay, disaster, panic. But Bowling Green's pretty good. They're right at that, that top 100 level. Uh, in in Ken Palm, that's not going to come back on on them and bite them as a bad loss. Uh, it, you don't obviously you don't want to see it on the resume, but it's not going to be a killer. And they've got some time now uh, between now and December seventh. Uh, UNLV will be tough at home on Saturday, but they've got some time between now and the shootout uh, next weekend to kind of start figuring some things out and get on track. Yeah, my thing when I watched this UC team and when I try to have a little perspective in looking at where they're at is coming into the season, the reason myself and many thought that they wouldn't be a disaster to start with a new coaching staff and new system and everything is because they have their identity in Jaron Cumberland. They know who their killer is. They know who their go-to guy is. He clearly hasn't been Jaron Cumberland yet. And that's for a multitude of reasons. Um, The injuries are a huge part of that. How concerned should fans be with his relationship with John Brandon. Do you think that's a concern, or do you think that's been blown out of proportion because of the one game that John decided to sit him? I mean, I think it's something you have to keep an eye on. You know, just but from everything I've heard after the Alabama A&M game, things have gotten on track much better. And the, the two, while, you know, there's going to still be things to work through, the two are starting to see things more eye-to-eye. Uh, Jaron, I think, is starting to understand that while the offense is different, he's still the best player on the team, and things are still going to roll through him. It's just a matter of getting everything installed and and getting the offensive system where John wants it. But the one thing I looked at that you know kind of is a telling story on 
is John's system more about moving the ball or does it, you know, can it cater to one specific guy? Drew McDonald as, as a center had a usage rate up around 30%. That's my favorite when, argument from UC fans. Is that is that his system that? is that his system doesn't work to feed a star player that he needs to learn how to use a star player correctly? It's like what did you you clearly never watched an NKU game the last three years? Right. I mean that entire system was built around Drew McDonald. So it's just a matter of look, you're still installing everything. You're still you know making everything. One John is notorious for watching his parts and see how they fit and then readjusting the system to match those parts. We've talked multiple times. The last two years, he's had a guy come in as a small forward that by the end of the year was playing point guard. Yep. So there's there's adjustments that he's making on the fly, and that's going to create some, some bumpy times here in November and December. But as it did for NKU over the past three years, those changes and adjustments pay off in March. What I would be more concerned about than anything, they gave up 62 points to Bowling Green in 25 minutes. Like defensively, that they they've been pretty good, but there are still things to fix. And you know, you're not in that situation if you make free throws, but you're also not in that situation if you get stops. Uh, and they had a guy go for I think 18 in the in the Illinois State game. A guy in the 20s against Bowling Green, a guy in the 30s against uh, against Valpo. So defensively, there's still some things that they need to continue to improve while they implement the offensive system. The other thing is turnovers right now. What, 41 turnovers between Bowling Green and Valpo uh, between those two games? They've got to start taking better care of the basketball uh, because when they, you know, if you look at the Valpo game, when they actually ran offense, Things were pretty good. They shot up around 60% for most of the game. It was just that they turned it over every other trip, it felt like, and it kept them from finding any rhythm. Well, one final basketball question. We'll move to football because it's obviously a big week for UC there as well. Um, you, you talk about parts, and, and one of the parts that's been pretty impressive um, has been Chris Vogt. And, and how, much, how much of a surprise has he been with his productivity, and how much more can they get out of him? I mean, you talk about one that I'm going to have to eat for, from now until the end of next season, I thought Vogt would, would be able to give them some minutes. I did not think he was – he's been their best player through six games. And I think a lot of that is, is one, Chris has gotten a lot stronger. I mean, Rick, you can speak on this. He looks like, a, in terms of his upper body and his, his, his core strength, he looks like a different dude than the guy that was in NKU last year. And the thing I'll give him, like, I didn't realize – his touch around the rim is really soft. He can look a bit mechanical and robotic at times as he's trying to get the ball, you know, into scoring position. But once he gets it on the rim, that thing's going in. Um, he's just been rock solid. And honestly, they probably need to go to him more, figure out a way to get him more touches. Because he's showing that he's, he's a good passer out of the post. He's got a, a, an array of post moves that he can use you know, spinning away from and, and back towards the rim. He goes up and dunks everything that he can. Uh, they would be in big trouble if Chris Vogt didn't get the waiver this year because he's kind of saved their bacon probably three three different games, including Valpo, where he had a career high 21-7. and seven. So uh, 
he has been a critical critical factor and, and, and it's another thing skinny he's the one guy that knows the system you want to talk right. about the, the system developing and guys once they get it what it's going to look like there's one guy it's chris vote and he's been the best player of the team mm, he said bacon mm, bacon Chad, let's switch over to the gridiron where the number 18 Bearcats have a huge game Friday afternoons. They take on number 17 Memphis. UC has managed to keep its one-loss record intact, but there have been a few close calls over the last month. The Bearcats beat ECU 46-43. On the road. USF 2017. On the road. And Temple 15-13. That was at home. What does UC have to do to stay on track and take down the Tigers, in your opinion? Uh... I would start with maybe trying to pass for more than 100 yards in a game. <laughs> Are they capable right now, though? Is Desmond Ritter capable of that? Right now, I don't know. So that's where yeah. you, you get a tough question for, for Luke Fickle. I got a great stat for you, though, Skinny. Via Ryan Coslin, what do you think Cincinnati's record is in the last five games they haven't thrown for 100 yards passing? I'm going to guess it's actually, I'm going to say 5-0. and oh. You are 100% correct. Yeah, that's weird. Maybe that's the key to winning. Just don't throw for 100 yards and win the game. <laughs> I'm sorry. I think you'll agree with this. That better not happen in this game. No. And, and I think, you know, it puts Luke Pickle in an interesting position. You know, do you, because this game, you're already in the American Conference Championship. Game. Yep. So I mean, all, all, you're, yeah, Chad, yeah, all you're playing for now is either you're in the New Year's Six Bowl or you're not. That's what you're playing for. Potentially, yes. I mean, there there is a path where if if they lose at Memphis, but they can win the conference championship game, if Boise loses, the American champion's probably going to still, even if they lose this coming week, the champion of the American's probably still going to get the Cotton Bowl. That's probably right, but, but, but your destiny's gone. You don't control your own destiny at this point. Yeah. Yeah. Correct. Um, I, I just don't know, will he... Will he pull the trigger and see what Ben Bryant can do in this? Game? Yeah, I, I, that was going to be my question. I mean, it, where's the leash there in your opinion? Is it down fourteen nothing? Is it see a couple drives no matter what the score is? Um, I, I, obviously, it's always a feel thing, but how quick is the hook here? I mean, if you get down quick, I think you have to take a look at it, and especially if Ritter looks like he's looked passing the ball. I mean, you got to give the kid credit; he, he's doing everything he can to get on the field and, and gut out oh, yeah. to beat this team. Yeah. But, but there was a play going into the UC student section. He had Alec Pierce in stride open by four steps, and he couldn't get the ball 40 yards. He looked like um, like when you get one of those Nerf footballs and, and, then, you, and you wind up and you try to chuck it as far as you possibly and can. And it just dies. That's how Ritter looked on that play. Dipped his front shoulder, his mechanics. Like He looked like he was putting everything he had on it. And it went about thirty-seven yards. Yeah. Uh, lastly, and at this level, that's just that's not going. You got to get him healthy somehow. No doubt. Uh, lastly, though, and I think there is a belief that that Memphis, no matter what it does or what UC does defensively, is going to get somewhere in the mid to high twenties, if not higher. This UC defense, other than the East Carolina game, and I think it, it also we've seen East Carolina. They're terrible, but they do have a very good offense, um, and they've they've scored on a lot of people. So you take that out of the equation. Overall, this defense has been consistently good game in, game out. They gave up a few big plays against Houston, but game in, game out, series in, series out, it's been good. Is this defensive capable of holding Memphis somewhere in the low 20s to high teens? Yeah, I think they are. I think some of that will come down to turnovers. Probably not high T. I yeah. mean, they're going to get the 20. They're good. Um, 
yeah, their offense is they've got really good wide receivers. They've got a, an electric freshman running back. So they're going to get in the 20s. But I think what we've started to see over the past couple weeks, and especially in the Temple game, Marcus Freeman now is kind of feeling it. Because he, he got that three three five defense up to speed. He got his nickel defense up to speed. Against Temple, they started using a 4-3 front, but they took one safety off the field and brought in a, a nickel back. So three corners, a single high safety, and then a 4-3 front. He's mixing it up and really keeping offenses off balance on how to attack the Cincinnati defense. So I think they're in position to be able to, you know, handle Memphis's offense at least as much as one possibly can right. when Memphis is playing at home. Um, but what can't happen is they can't be left on the field over and over and over to try to slow Memphis down. Cincinnati's offense has got to pick up some first downs, get those guys some rest, and look a lot like what we saw in the Central Florida game. If they can kind of replicate that defensively, then yeah, I think they're going to be in a position to win this game and come back home December 7th, 3.30 to host the conference title game with the Crosstown shootout at 5 o'clock. Crazy. Crazy day. Crazy day for sure. So which one of you guys had the Stephen F. Austin money line plus 8,000 last Is that what it was? I knew it had to be high. That's that's crazy. I did not. I I passed on that game other than the total. I like the total over. Plus (laughs) 8,000. Somebody cashed in somewhere. Some Stephen F. Austin fan who is who is blind to their to their what are they the something jacks aren't lumberjacks. they lumberjacks? Somebody who's blind to those lumberjacks cashed in on that bet. Drop a hundo on that bad boy, Ooh, buddy. You got yourself a nice Thanksgiving and Christmas. If you drop a hundred dollars on that game, you're an idiot. <laughs> I would I would agree no with question. that. I would agree. Chad, we appreciate it. We look forward to the college basketball podcast, and we'll probably actually catch up another time before then. Thanks much. All right, sounds good. Thanks, fellas. All right, Skinny, we'll stick with college basketball. Duke became the third number one team to lose this season on Tuesday night as the Blue Devils were stunned at home by Stephen F. Austin on a coast-to-coast layup at the buzzer in overtime. Duke entered the game as a 27.5-point favorite. We heard, just heard from Chad, plus 8,000 <laughs> if you got him on the money line. Wow. We will likely have a fourth different number one team already this season when the new polls are released on Monday. So my question for you, is anybody good in college basketball this year? Uh, Maryland. <laughs> My, my pick, my preseason, my preseason because that sporting news guy came up with some kind of pick. I, no, not at this point. Um, I mean, we've had Kentucky was what a twenty-six point favorite against. Something. It, we're not just talking about upsets, man. We're talking about some monumental upsets. Yeah, I mean, we're not talking about a, a nine-point favorite that or eleven or eleven-point you know whatever dog winning outright. We're talking about monumental. Who are they beating? The Blue Bloods, right? And this isn't a year where. Okay, you've got a high or a low major team who's probably going to win their conference playing against a high major team who's in a power conference but really isn't going to be good in that conference. And so it looks like a big splash win, but in reality, the teams weren't all that different. The like this is Duke and Kentucky and both of them were picked to be number 1 at different points right. this year. Right. And again, the, we're not talking about it you know, a 15-point favorite or or even covering the spread. I mean, even covering the, the number. Talk about winning outright. That is insane to me. And, and I I go back to asking you this, and I, I don't want to point the finger at one class, but was it just come down to, again, the 2019 class maybe wasn't all that elite, and we just don't have those high-impact freshmen? We've got some, don't get me wrong, but not the depth of that, maybe. Well, I think that's definitely... Or maybe it's the vice versa. Maybe there was such depth that they're all spread out across the country. 
Well, see, now that's the more interesting point. I don't know that it's not necessarily that there's so many of them that everyone has one. It's all equally divided. I think it's more that some of the Blue Bloods this year didn't end up all at the same school. You know, UK didn't pull three or four of them. Duke didn't pull three or four of them. That kid at George is ridiculous. James Wiseman going to Memphis. Memphis, right. I mean, you had a couple of the best players in the country end up somewhere else and, and not at the Blue Bloods. So I think that does have something to do with it, especially when the Blue Bloods had been in this kind of cadence of, one and done, one and done, one and done. Right, yeah, and I think that's I think that's the best point of all is no one is begrudging those teams doing that, right? Right. But if if you come up to a class that's not as as talent rich, and you don't have a depth on your roster of upperclassmen, guess what? You're in a quandary. Well, and and even when you do have talented freshmen, it takes longer. Yeah. You know, so you you open yourself up more to opportunities like this, and that's the thing. There's always give and take with anything you do. In terms of assembling your rosters, even for the Blue Bloods who seem to get whoever they want, they still have to make tough choices. Like, do we go after the best player available knowing he's going to be gone in a year and we're going to have to do it all over again next year and and maybe we won't be able to recover? Or do we try to play for we're going to have four-year guys and see it all the way through? It's, It's a difficult balance, and you can get it right, and it can still also not work out right for you. So so last year was the year where look Virginia was a top ranked team. We don't think they were we didn't think they were completely elite talent wise. They had good guys, but they were a top ranked team. So they were in the upper echelon. So they were a team we pointed to. We we scoffed at that just because of style of play didn't appear like it was going to work. But Texas Tech kind of came out of nowhere. They were considered a solid top 20ish team. Are we in that vein again this year where we're going to look up on on that championship Monday and it'll be two teams where it just doesn't it's just I mean Texas Tech in a title game doesn't feel right, right? right. I mean it doesn't. And I think but they were don't get me wrong. I thought they were they were very good, but it just didn't feel right. I'm I'm sure it's, you know, it's been this way for a while, but it feels like with each year we get it, there's the parity just keeps increasing, right? There are so many guys that are so good. See, I think that's so going to make athletic. for a better regular season. And play, I do too, and I think that's what we're seeing right now. These losses make for a fun regular season, in my opinion. I don't care if Duke and Kentucky go undefeated. No, they still might be in the Final Four at the end of the day, right. but I'd rather see them drop a few games early in the season and and get this type of excitement. But I do think there so many guys play at a high level on national AAU circuits from such a young age they're all familiar with each other there's just that line has been blurred and it just keeps getting blurred more and more because guys aren't intimidated by the kid at duke because i played against him three times in eybl and we beat him by 15 last time we played you know that type of thing i just think more and more of that everything being so centralized and all these guys seeing each other on the internet and knowing each other beforehand that it, it it has changed a little bit the way the stuff works. Yeah, and, and I think you mean many years ago, and I'll probably go back longer years. You you would get a, a class of six, seven, or eight blue blooded kids going to blue blood programs. Now those kids want to play, and honestly, sometimes it doesn't really matter. Go, going to Georgia, can I go to Georgia and play and score myself twenty five and ten and go to the pros right away? I can do that just as well as I can if I went to Duke or Kentucky or Kansas or Michigan State or wherever. Well, let's do it. Well, I mean, I don't. It's interesting because, like, you look at a guy like Ben Simmons, and certainly he still went high in the draft, but his LSU team doesn't even make the NCAA right. tournament. A lot right. of people would say, you know, that was a mistake of him to go there. We've seen Mark worked out okay, worked out okay for him, sure. And Markel Fultz with Washington right. was a similar situation. Now, again, those guys got drafted at the top of their draft, so it didn't affect them getting paid. They're both trash shooters, but yes, <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, and I also think on the flip side of that, just last year we saw 
three lottery picks end up at Duke from the same class. And, and Kentucky's piled up, up several guys in the same class before, too. So I don't know that we're going away from that necessarily. But I do think, you know, when we see these guys spread out a little bit more, it does create some interesting situations across the college yeah, I, basketball I, I, landscape. I, I, I think it's going to make it for a very, I mean, this time of year in college basketball is hard because you're in all those tournaments and you got a lot of buy games. But I, I really think when we get into some of these conference games and matchups, I, I think we're going to have some fun, fun games as the year goes along. And I think it's across the board. I would agree with you. By the way, is anybody good in college basketball? If if I have to pick the best team right now, it might be Chris Max Louisville it Cardinals. Might be. It might be. I mean, they haven't really played a whole lot. They played Miami opener in the, the opener. season opener. Looked okay. Won that game. Yeah, but they were down big early and then turned it completely around and dominated the rest of that game. Though. Yeah, yeah, they did. And again, season opener, so it's yeah, hard to take right. a lot from it. Since then, they haven't played too much in terms of competition. I'm interested to see how they fare over the next few weeks as they start to take on some more serious uh, competition. Agreed. Xavier finished runner-up in the Charleston Classic by beating Towson 73-51, UConn 75-74 in a double overtime thriller, and then losing to Florida 70-65. Paul Scruggs and Tyreek Jones were both named to the all-tournament team for the Musketeers. Skinny, what was the takeaway from Xavier's performance at the Charleston Classic? I think it's what, what we hoped. I mean, you asked last week what, what's a reasonable expectation, and I said get to the championship game, and then let's see where you go, and hopefully you play Florida. Because if you play Florida and you lose, it probably won't be a bad loss, even though Florida had lost those couple of games early. But guess who one of those losses to Florida was too early? UConn. UConn. So you beat the team that Florida beat. So I think the way this college basketball season we just talked about is going, Florida, I had a buddy who thinks Florida winds up still a top 10 team when all said and done. I said top 25. I mean, I kind of maybe shortchange it, but it's going to not be, it's going to end up being a tier one loss. It's not going to end up being a bad loss. And I think when you saw Xavier against or when you saw Florida play against Xavier, they looked a lot more. Well, their like guards, team. their guards look like they should look. They yeah. looked really good, and they started making shots. Yeah, like they weren't making shots earlier in the year. Yes, they had the post play with Blackshear in there, but their guards just weren't hitting anything. Right, and their no. guards are really good. Yeah, all of a sudden their guards start hitting a few shots, and they look a whole lot yeah. more like the team people expected them to be. Yeah. Maybe not top five in the country, good, but certainly. No, he said he said he thinks top ten, and I said that's probably right. I probably shortchanged him to top twenty five. You know, the disappointing part was getting down the way Xavier got down, but. The comeback was great. You had a good look three to tie the score, right? I mean, again, I said get to the finals, play Florida. You beat Florida. Boy, what a feather in your cap. You lose to Florida. It won't be an awful loss on your resume. I think they did what they needed to do. I think the UConn game, when you get to Selection Sunday, you're going to look back and go, boy, that was a that was a needed win. For whatever reason on the seed line, I think that's going to be an important win for them. Yeah, Brian Snow and I talked about this on my Xavier podcast last night, just you know, after the tournament, what – What's the takeaway? What do, are, is this team where you thought they were beforehand? And it's basically about, yeah. And someone said, well, to put it another way, are, are the expectations still the same at the end of the year? Are they a second weekend NCAA tournament type team? And I said, yeah. I mean, that feels yeah. right. That should be the expectation for them. I'm not saying they're going to get No, no, there. right. But that should be they, the expectation, yes. Flaws, but yeah, I mean, I think they're about the team we thought they'd be, which is a top 25 type team. Certainly not elite because of their offensive issues. But And while their offense has struggled more than we expected, probably because they've shot so poorly from the outside, I think the defense and toughness and the way they've the pieces have fit together actually look a little bit better than I expected. Yeah, yeah. Um, between now and conference play, other than the sh- other than the crosstown uh, shootout, what do they got left major wise uh, non conference? I'm doing that off the top of your head. I'm, I'm sorry for that if I did that. Really, the the next big game they have, you got the crosstown shootout on the seventh, obviously. Right. Other than that, I mean, Wake Forest is a top 100 program, and then you have TCU, which is you know probably the next best team in there. So is that in Fort Worth? I think. 
Yes, that is at uh, TCU. Yeah, that's what I thought. Mm-hmm. Okay, so so that there's a that, that's a decent chance they pick up another win, and I don't think that would be a bad loss either. So you got a chance to wind up the non-conference with a loss, maybe two. A third would be, I think, disappointing because I think right now with UC's issues and we're 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 close enough to the shootout where I don't know if UC irons all those issues out between well, and now and then. At home this year, in the yeah, right, too, and that that too. Yeah, I, I don't know if you agree with me or not. I I, I think. I think they can get out of the non-con with, with a loss. A second loss, if it's the TCU on the road, would not be awful. So you get out of that with two, go 10-8, and 11-7 and seven in the league. I think you put yourself in a good position. Yeah, I mean, if they if they get out of there with one loss, you feel great. Really great, yeah. the way things right, have gone. Right. And, and not just that. Because you will have another, probably that's a, at minimum a Tier 2 win if you win at TCU because it's on the road. Right. At minimum. Yeah, it's probably a Tier 1. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I just think your resume is in such a good spot because there's years where you feel like you're playing really well by the time you get to conference season, but you maybe didn't quite take care of business. You let a game slip right. along the way. Right. And, that, and, and that hasn't happened yet. Right. They just haven't done that. So while things weren't great to start the season, they're where they need to be. And assuming they went out here or like you said, maybe just the loss at TCU, they should be in pretty good shape, I would think. And that's where I go back. That double overtime win over UConn is going to wind up being big. It is. It is. Because I think UConn's better than people yeah. expected. They were bad last year, but they're a whole lot better this year. Yeah, we expected them to be though yeah so all right skinny let's transition over to the nfl and the bengals are going back to andy dalton zach taylor announced on monday that dalton will replace rookie quarterback ryan finley for the team's week 13 game against the jets finley took over for dalton after week eight and in three starts he completed 47 percent of his passes for 474 yards two touchdowns and five total turnovers against pittsburgh finley was 12 of 26 passing for 192 yards one touchdown and a lost fumble his third in three games are the Bengals making the right decision by going back to Andy Dalton yes and you can read my column on local12.com why the end no I do have a column on there but um yes and I know fans don't want to hear that um one Finley just really struggled I mean he looked in over his head I want to say almost completely I mean of those 192 yards passing 47 were on a just ridiculous catch by Tyler Boyd and then Boyd made another great catch on a horribly thrown ball uh, for a touchdown in front of Joe Hayden really that was Boyd making a great play on back-to-back plays to help his quarterback and sometimes you throw a 50-50 ball up and you need your wide yeah, receiver that, to come down with you it. need them to do that yeah just not and on that's every fine play. not on every play um the thing is the defense has played better the last couple of weeks and I know you can tell me it's just the the Raiders and it's 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 you know obviously the the Steelers and it have is, some issues, and it is, fine. but they've played better. Yeah. It's arguably, not even arguably, it is their best back-to-back performances of the year, and they're still playing hard, and I know that sounds like a cliche. So if you're a veteran on that defense, and I'll start with that side of it, and I'm still busting my ass. I'm playing as hard as I can possibly play, and now our, our level of performance is better. It's winnable. I mean, you've, you've held the last two teams to winning numbers, and you look and go, dude, we're still playing hard here. And you're giving us no chance with that guy at quarterback. Andy at least gives us a chance. And so I think that's where, if, and, and the one thing Zach Taylor's done, he's done a good job of keeping this locker room together. And he's done a good job of keeping these guys grinding. And those guys, to their credit, have continued to grind. You have to throw them a bone. You have to give them the chance to win games. And I think you saw it with Cordy Glenn. They swallowed hard to put Cordy Glenn back in the lineup. And you know why? Because he he's still their a better be- option. He, he's still their best option at left ta- tackle. No matter what happened in the past no matter how mad they were at him no matter how mad he was at them they swallowed hard and said listen he gives us the best chance and I think in this case you have to go back to Andy because you have to you have to give yourself the best chance I know people will scream to the high heavens of you're gonna blow the first pick 
Look, that's fine for you as a fan to believe. That's fine if the front office believes that. But as a player and a coach, you can't believe that. You have to go try to win games. You work too hard during the week to not have an outcome on Sunday that you've worked hard to try to attain. So the best thing for them to do was absolutely go back to Andy Dalton. Yeah, I don't want to agree with this. I, I want to say, no, you should be tanking. You shouldn't worry, be worried about winning any games. You should continue to see what you have in your rookie. You should not worry about Andy Dalton at this point. That being said... Ryan Finley was that bad. Yes. I mean, it was so clear that he was in over his head. I mean, the the there have been multiple moments where you could obviously tell that, but that throw to Erickson where he threw it out of bounds and just missed him by about. And, and in fairness, Andy's had those moments too a couple times, right? Sure. And and with this offensive line and with the guys around him, I understand how those things happen. But it's just constant with Ryan. Finley. Right. I mean, he's making more of those types of plays Dude, than he is. Forty-seven point one percent of his passes over a three-game span is pretty inaccurate in a league where, especially I mean, with it, what they're asking him to do. Andy's at sixty percent, and that's honestly not all that great. It's not like he's chucking the ball downfield right. a lot either. No, right. I mean, they're giving him high percentage right. plays, and again, he was set up to fail. He was never given a chance to, to be successful. But I, I agree. With, I mean, like you're, it's to the point where everyone's going to quit and I would understand if they did I wouldn't even really care if they did but you're right if you're you're a head coach and you're trying to establish a culture and trying to set the path going forward to success there's no way you these guys are going to take you seriously if you continue to Absolutely. run out a guy that's as exactly right. poor as Ryan Finn. that's exactly right and there's really nothing other than that here's the other thing too you're, you're I, I think you will get AJ Green back now at some point you get John Ross back next week I mean they could go into the Cleveland game literally with what they anticipated having across the board with Cordy Glenn at left tackle left guard was open to start the year and Billy Price has won the job the center's the guy you were projecting, the right guard, the right tackle. Your tight ends are all there except for Drew Sample. You'd have your full complement of wide receivers. Your two running backs are still there. Here's your quarterback. Now maybe we can evaluate the group as a whole, and we can evaluate Zach Taylor better as, as a play caller because now he's at least got all of his options at his disposal. Let's see what you get over those final four games. I know I don't want the false hope of 4-12 and 12 or 3-13. and 13. I don't think that, that tells you that you don't need to fix a bunch of things because you still do, especially on the other side of the football. But I think then you can look and make a fair evaluation of everything that's going on. I would argue that this team finishing with four wins would be the biggest disaster in Cincinnati Bengals history. It, it would won't be finish the, with four. They're not going to win. Four it would be the no, they won't. But it will be the it would be the worst thing to ever happen to this franchise. I truly believe, that, other than the Browns taking it over. Um, I think it's clear there needs to be fixes on defense, and you're getting Jonah Williams back next year. I think maybe I, I don't know. I I do think you could at least get a chance to evaluate. I think you got to evaluate fairly when you do it. So let's see what they have with all hands on deck in, in the Cleveland game. Starting yeah, there, I'm with you, and I'm, I'm down to evaluate, and especially Zach Taylor. I think he deserves a more fair evaluation. I mean, if he goes those last three games with all hands on deck and they average 13 points a game, I would almost have to say in the off season, you're no longer the play caller. You have to give that to somebody else. You're still our head coach. You give that to somebody else. Do you think that even works though at this point? I mean, if you're going to take that away from, him, don't you just blow it up? It feels like mm, I don't really know. cutting his legs out from under him. I, mean, I don't a know. A young guy like that who just took over. I, I would ask this. If Zach Taylor was just a head coach and he had somebody else calling plays and they had all hands on deck and averaged 13 points a game, don't you think he'd take the play calling duties away from that guy? Of course. Okay. But he's the, he's the guy who's ultimately responsible, and this time he chose himself. And I think mm. when you do that, you're hitching your career and your, right. your job to I got how you. well you do as a play caller. Gotcha. Switching gears once more – Transitioning into baseball here, the Reds made a few moves at the start of the week as they claimed outfielder Nick Martini off waivers from the Padres and acquired right-handed pitcher Justin Schaefer from the Blue Jays for cash. Right-handed pitcher Jimmy Herget and outfielder Brian O'Grady were designated for assignment to make room. 
Last week, the Reds missed out on free agent catcher Yasmani Grandal, who agreed to a four-year, $73 million contract with the White Sox. A rival general manager told insider Ken Rosenthal, quote, I will be shocked if they don't spend big, referring to the Reds. Rosenthal also said sources are saying the Reds are one of many teams seriously interested in right-handed pitcher Zach Wheeler. Skinny, what are your expectations for the Reds offseason, and do you think the Reds should be interested in bringing in another talented pitcher like Wheeler? I do, um, but I also wouldn't do it if that's going to preclude you from spending on a hitter or two. Uh, maybe the grand all thing happened too fast for the Reds to maybe be serious bidders. Maybe they determined there was a price range and he just fell a little bit out of it. I really would have liked to have seen them make a run at Yasmani Grandal. Um, I mean, what a huge upgrade offensively at that position he would have been. Um, it, it just it felt like you know he was in this organization at one point. What a nice thing to bring him back and 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 have that kind of a piece. I, I seriously, they've got to add a batter to the pitching. I think they, I think you could survive on the pitching as is. I'm never opposed to getting another decent pitcher. I just don't want that to be at the expense of well, we can't now afford a batter too. Yeah, I'm with you on that. The only thing I start looking at is when you, especially with Grandal, which is why I think they should have gone all in on him and paid whatever he he they needed to get that done. But when you start looking at what's available in free agency in terms of hitters, there's not a lot that I like, especially at the position that the Reds need. I mean, they're not going to be looking at third or first. They could look for almost anything else, I think, but even well, still. Well, it, it could also come in a trade where you're taking on a contract, too. I mean, right? I mean, you could and, also do that. And they, yeah, they, they, we saw them get creative last year to get some deals done. Hopefully, they'll be in that same mindset now. I, I wasn't thinking they needed to look at a pitcher, but the way, when I look at this free agency class, I tend to think, man, there's some pretty good arms, right. and then some guys like Zach Wheeler who aren't the elite arms that are available right now but, that you can get. But I think you're looking at a staff with Luis Castillo as a, as a bona fide ace. Sonny Gray is a 1A. Sure. So the top of your rotation, I think Bauer, if he has a bounce back here, is no doubt a solid three. So suddenly, we're down to now. You just need a fourth and a fifth. Right, but you could, you're could. you also losing potentially two of those guys after next year as well. Well, yeah. Okay, so, so, so you add a Zach Wheeler who maybe has some upside still. Right, maybe you get a multi-year deal, and, and you ensure that hey if we have a good year this coming you know in 2020 you ensure that well we've got a few pieces to bring that bull because let's face it Nick Lodolo is probably not too far off who they drafted so you had him I mean maybe maybe in a couple years when Luis Castillo is a free agent you say you know what right before he hits free agency we deal him for some bats because now we are pitching rich I mean you got Sonny Gray signed for a chunk of time here right and I don't hate the idea of look if the if the Reds make a run this next season which is probably unlikely but if it happens it's going to be on the strength of their rotation right it's going to be right. about their pitching so I'm fine with them doubling down on this going all in and saying this is this is going to be our identity we are going to stockpile as many arms as possible I, I'm fine with that and if the bats aren't there right now that's fine use all your money on pitching I'm they definitely need more hitting but I don't want to see them get more journeymen, middle-of-the-road type guys that are the same platoon-type guys they already got. If you're not going to go get the Yasmani Grandal, the big-time difference-maker in your lineup, then I'm, I'm all for spending a lot of money on pitching. Go get me Didi Gregorius, plug him in at shortstop, and that upgrades your offense significantly. I think that, Significantly. I think that would be a nice addition. And if you do that, what are what are you thinking in terms of the other position? You leave Senzel out in center field? I leave Senzel in center field. I leave Aquino in right. You slide I, Galvis I, over to second? I slide Galvis to second, yes. I, I platoon Winker and Irvin, and I have probably uh, Peraza as a super utility guy. He plays second, short, center field, and gives guys days off that way. 
Yeah, I'd be good. I'd be good with that. I, I I do get concerned every time it seems like the bigger name. Now, Kino like, scares me because it always feels flash in the panty, right? Sure. I mean, it does. And there's a good chance it is. And there's a good chance it is. But I, you still have to see what you got. Absolutely. And he, he he produced enough where he deserves that opportunity for sure. Without a doubt. All right. Let's get to some gambling. Let's do it. You got the records from last week? I do. All right, here we go. We'll do uh, football first, then we'll get to basketball. Football last week, I was 7-9. and nine. Rick was 6-10, and 10, so ew, sorry, guys. 87-83-1 is my record. Rick, 92-78-1. I will give myself a pat on the back. I almost nailed the Kentucky score on the number. I picked 51-7, and they won 50-7. So I almost hit it right on the head. Not bad. Not yeah. bad at all. All right, let's get into the picks for this week. Starting on Friday at noon, we've got Miami at Ball State. And Miami is a three-point dog. The total is 55 and a half. I like that. You you took that over for me. You're, I, you're welcome. I am going. I know where you're going. With Ball State. Of course you are. <laughs> well, I picked Miami the last two weeks, and you know what they did this dude, past week? Dude, you, they almost beat, got beat by Akron. Yeah, they crushed me. Yeah, Akron. That's, that's the did. only game. Akron, by the way, uh, Tuesday night. Did not cover, lost again, finished 0-12, and, and against the number 1-11, and, and that one cover was against Miami. Miami. <laughs> the only time that I took Miami I know it. I know it. All so, right, so I'm back against the Miami train, uh, fade in Miami, Ball State 31, Miami 21, so that's Ball State and the under. Yeah, Miami's already clinched the uh, the MAC East. They've already clinched a spot in the MAC Championship game. They, they've already clinched a bowl. Nothing to play for. Oh, yes, there is, though. They are playing. If they win, they will clinch their first winning season since 2010. And I think that's something to play for. I think you'd say, listen, we have, we're already in the MAC title game. We're already going to play in a bowl. We will have two more opportunities to have finish with a winning record. Let's get it done here. Let's clinch it here. I'm going with the Fighting Chuck Martins. The Fighting Chuck Martins, 27-26. The three points come in handy, and it stays just under the total. You ought to send that speech down to Chuck Martins. You like so that, didn't you? can use it before game. Yeah, that got me fired up. I bet it did. Friday at 3.30, we've got the Bearcats at Memphis. We talked about it with Chad Brendel. The Tigers are favored by 10.5 here. 57.5 is the total. Yeah, I think the total's high. I know Memphis is really good offensively. Uh, I, I'm throwing out the East Carolina game. I'm just going to say, listen, that was a day where the defense just got flummoxed, and East Carolina has been pretty good offensively. This UC defense has been pretty good, but I just I can't see them winning this game on the road. I, I, I hope they do. I think it'd be great to see them 11-1 and one and have host the AAC championship game the same day as the Crosstown shootout and have a chance to play in a New Year's Six Bowl. You know, just based on the way this offense is playing, I, I just can't see it on the road. I will give them the backdoor cover, though. I'll go Memphis 27-17, so I'll take the points and the under. I'm going to go against what we've seen recently out of this UC team and just bet on Luke Fickle being a big game coach. I feel like he's got that juice to him. He's got, I mean, dude, they've, they're, they're what? They're now 21 and three over the last two years. They know how to win. They showed up in the UCF game. Yeah. I, what, no, I, I, I get it. I'm going to, I'm going to say Luke Fickle, this is the start of where we realize he is a big game coach. I'm going to say the Bearcats pull the upset here, went out right 27 24. So that's UC and the under. All right, 27-24, UC. You're going with it, baby. I like it. Roll with it. That takes us to Saturday at noon. The game, Ohio State at Michigan. The total is 50-and-a-half. The Buckeyes are nine-point favorites in that one. Um, we've been riding the Ohio State train, and they've let us down the last couple of weeks. And I think it's going to be three in a row. Uh, Michigan's offense, they have decided to cut Shea Patterson loose, and I don't think they win this game. But I also love the nine points. I think it opened at 12. People hammered it down to eight, I believe. So it's at nine now. Um, Chase Young has been great in big games. And I expect Chase Young to be great again. But I also expect Michigan to score some points. And that's been hard to believe on this Ohio State defense. I think Michigan does 
I mean, they got a lot to play for, man. They got a, they, they're, they're trying to, to derail Ohio State's national championship. They've had a lot to play for win. for seven years, Skinny. I know, but boy, they're play, you look at since the, since their their last loss, uh, the uh, the uh, Penn State game, and actually, if you look at the second half of the Penn State game, they were down twenty one nothing, storm back, and since then their offense has been on a roll. It's not like they stunk last year. I'm going to go Ohio State 27-24, so I'm taking Michigan in the points and the over. Buckeyes sweat it out, but they do continue to beat the team from the north. Man, I don't know how you can take Jimmy Harbaugh in this matchup. I'm going Ohio State 38, Michigan 14, so I'm taking Ohio State to cover easily. I think this one's going to get ugly in the second half. Michigan is Michigan until they're not, and Ohio State owns Michigan under Jim Harbaugh's reign. All right, you want a side six-pack bet on that one? You want to give me the nine? Yeah. All right. Side six pack bet. Quality six pack for the holidays. Only six pack. Okay. Plus nine. You want to give me the hook just just so we don't have a tie? Yes. Okay. I'll Thank give you. you the hook. See, I, 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 I Why didn't you want to give me the hook? I don't know. I took it. I took All it right. and ran with it. There's our side bet. All right. OSU in the over for yep. me. All right. And that takes us to our final college game. And these are all going to be done before noon on Saturday. I know. It's crazy. Probably, so that's nice. Louisville at Kentucky. Three and a half point favorites are the Wildcats. 52 and a half is the total. I was. It, it is cool in this rivalry to see Louisville back. For a while, Kentucky was down, and then Louisville was down, and now Louisville's back. And so it, it, it's a it's a it's a fun matchup um, uh, in this regard. They're both back to being mediocre. <laughs> yeah, but it, but at least it makes it a rivalry game. True. I mean, this is a what what could have been season for Kentucky because the schedule really wasn't that hard. They caught Florida when they should have beat Florida. The South Carolina loss stunk. Georgia's still better than them, so I'm going to chalk that one up. But it's just disappointing of what might have been for Kentucky this season because their defense is been great they have the identity of running the football now I think they're gonna have to throw it a little bit against Louisville but Louisville's defense is is not very good I mean they give up 59 to Wake 45 to Clemson which is understandable 21 to to Virginia in a win 52 to Miami on the road 20 to NC State 34 to Syracuse I I think Kentucky being at home the way they're running the ball UofL will have a tough time with it Kentucky defense has been playing very well I'll go Kentucky comfortably actually 30 to 19 so Kentucky and the under actually all right, I like the the call of Kentucky in the under. The score, though, I'm going Kentucky 27, Louisville 21. I think it's going to be a little bit closer than you do, uh, but I agree. At home, that Kentucky defense and their running game, they'll be able to dictate the tempo and, and play their game. I'm not too worried about that for the Wildcats. And that brings us to our NFL game starting on Thursday. We're going to do all the Thanksgiving Day games because I figure a lot of you are probably sitting around. You're going to bet all of them. So we're going to make picks for all of them. Starting Thursday, 1230, we've got the Bears at Detroit. Bears are favored by 2.5. 39.5 is the total. Bears are trash. The Lions are trash. Don't get me wrong. You can't lose to Washington and not be trash. But they're at least trash at home. Both teams are trash. And they're they're a home dog. I'm going to take the Lions outright. Detroit, Detroit. Will get enough offensively against the Bears. The Bears, well, Detroit's defense is not very good. The Bears' offense is just Mitch Trubisky's garbage. 23 19 Detroit. So Detroit in the over. <laughs> we're, we're very close on the score, but it's, it's reversed. I actually, I agree with you. Both these teams are trash. I like the Bears to pull this one out, though. I'm mad at the Lions right now. It's a bad emotional pick. By I can me. only imagine but just I, because of the Washington L. Yep, but I stink. At the NFL pick anyway, so you shouldn't be you shouldn't be betting with me. Uh, Bears twenty three, Lions seventeen. So that's Bears and the over. Go Jet Driscoll. <laughs> All right, then uh, Thursday at four thirty, we've got the Bills at the Cowboys. The Cowboys are six and a half point favorites. Forty four and a half is the total. 
Bills are the worst 8-3 and three team in the NFL, but they are 8-3, and three, so tip of the cap to the Bills. I think the Cowboys come off a very tough loss to New England, angry as all get out. I think they they their defense just dominates in this game. I'm going to go Dallas 27-7. I think they roll Buffalo. Wow. Uh, I like the Cowboys as well here to cover. I've got Cowboys 28, Bills 21, so that's Cowboys and the over. The, the Cowboys... They're, they're weird. They're another team. They're weird. They don't have an identity. I mean, they don't know exactly. if they want to run the ball. They don't know if they want to throw the ball. And then when they throw the ball, somehow they don't throw a single pass to a guy I needed in fantasy, Amari, um, um, Amari Cooper. How does he come away with no catches? Well, that I don't know anything about. I'm not I a do. fantasy guy, as you not, know. But still. But there's the, my anger. There's I, my anger. I cannot understand their results. Them and the Falcons, I just refuse to bet on either one of those in real life. <laughs> Because those two teams are impossible to figure out. Well, here's our next game. Speaking of the devil, Thursday, 8-20, we've got Saints at Falcons. The Saints are six-and-a-half-point favorites. The total is 49-and-a-half. Yeah, I want to take the, take the Saints to cover. I think they win. Atlanta is a weird team. You're right. Um, I think this just becomes a shootout. I, I New Orleans, they, they've not played great of late. I mean, they had the, the bad loss. Um, no, they went from looking like the best team in the NFL. To, to, to a, to a, a man. Yeah, I'm going to go New Orleans 31-30. I think the shootout happens. New Orleans wins outright. Falcons cover and goes over. You're a brave man if you can pick the Falcons in this game, in my opinion. But uh, the 49-and-a-half number, to me, is the one to key in on here because I'm with you. I think this game is going to be high-flying. Like I think there's going to be a lot of points put up. I like the over as well. I'm going Saints 34, Falcons 24, so that's Saints and the over. There you go. And then Sunday at 1 p.m., we've got the New York Jets coming in to play the Cincinnati Bengals. The Jets are three-and-a-half-point favorites, which they've got to be happy about. 41-and-a-half is the total. All right, here I am, man. They get the Andy Dalton lift. I, I feel it. W's coming. Now, the Jets have played great the last three weeks. Sam Darnold's been absurd. A 117 passer rating over the last three games. Eight touchdowns, one interception. He's run for a score. He has been great. They're still the Jets, in my opinion. You are, let me ask you a question about that, because you are a fantasy guy. I refuse to answer this question, because yes. I'm not. But uh, someone did ask me in the DM, said, hey, if you guys need an extra topic, I've got Deshaun Watson as my quarterback. He's been pretty good going against the Patriots, who are the number one fantasy defense against quarterbacks this week. I could play Sam Darnold against the Bengals. What should he do? What would you do in that situation? Um... Boy, that's a good one because I think Deshaun Watson will have to throw. I think they have a hard time running the ball. It is the number one defense. I think I had to take Sam Darnold. I think he'll still throw for a couple touchdowns in this game. I, I so I yeah. I think the Bengals get an offensive lift. I'm going Bengals. 23-21, the outright victory. Bengals in the over. Come down from your roof, Jeff Lannell. Yes, indeed. You are the next contestant on the Bengals. And they Suck carry again. They, they carry Andy Dolph, Dalton off into the sunset. I don't know about all that. 30 of 40 for 310. Carry him off to the sunset. Does that mean he's getting traded? <laughs> Maybe, yeah. <laughs> Finally. 30 of 40. So, so they'll get 21. Darnold will get you a couple touchdowns in 260. You'll be happy. All right, so there you go. Skinny says play Darnold against the Bengals instead of Deshaun Watson against the Patriots. I'm going to say Jets 20, Bengals 14. So the Jets cover, and that hits the under. That hits the under. That brings us to the final game on Sunday night. Sunday at 8.20, we've got the Patriots at the Texans, as we just mentioned. Patriots are three-and-a-half-point favorites. The total is 44-and-a-half in that one. Skinny, who you got? I love the Texans outright. Um, really? I think them being at home. I, Patriots are not playing great. I don't think it'll be a high-scoring game. I'm going to go Houston 19-17, so give me the three-and-a-half and the under. 
I'm with you on the under. I really like that 44 and a half number. That was much higher than I was expecting. I was thinking that total is going to be around like 39, 40 and a half, something like that. Um, I'm going Pats 24, Texans 14. So that's the Patriots and the under in this one. I'm I'm not. I like Texans. I'm, you, I'm, you like the Texans. I, I got my money line. My money line parlay: Bengals and the Texans. There's your two team money line parlay of the week. Man. Good luck if Just you're saying. rolling with that Just one. Just saying. All right. Gets us to Monday night, our final game of the week. Seattle at home, laying three to the Vikings. The total is 49. I'll let you pick first. I'm sorry. Say it again. Seattle, three and 49 against the Vikings at home. 12th man. I like Seattle here to win 24-17. So that's going to be Seattle and the under, correct? Yes. Um yeah, this is a good one for me. I'm going to go Seattle 27-17. I think the Seahawks are playing really well I right now. And and uh, nice road win over over Philly, back at home. Uh, yeah, just give me them by 10. I'm, I'm rolling with it. I'm going with the under with you. All right, sounds good. And that takes us to our college basketball picks. Last week, you were 5-3 and three to bring you to 17-7 and seven on the year so Man. far in college basketball. You're off to a hot start. I am. I was four and four. That makes me twelve and twelve overall on the year. And amazingly, if you combine the records of football and basketball, this is this is really incredible. What are we? We are each one hundred four ninety and one total. (laughs) That's crazy on everything we've bet. That's insane. That's that's a that's a sample size of almost two hundred games, and we're dead even. (laughs) Crazy. (laughs) Pretty good. Pretty good stuff. All right, Friday night, 7 p.m. We've got UAB at Kentucky. The Wildcats are favored by 19 in this game. The total is 127. Yeah, give me give me Kentucky, obviously, to win it outright. I shouldn't say obviously because they did lose to Evansville after all. But they did beat <laughs> Lamar. They did beat Mount St. Mary's. They've kind of figured a few things out. UAB's arguably the second-best team they've played this year behind Michigan State, right? Yeah, that's the thing. UAB's uh, better than some of those yeah, other teams. Um, I'll take Kentucky 74-61. So the Wildcats and the, the the total seems very small to me. I think the over's a, over's a good play. Yeah, I think that's right. Um, Kentucky is obviously was disappointing to start the year. The Evansville loss is what it is, and then they were still in a funk a little bit. It seems like those guys are starting to understand the level of intensity needed, um, playing a little bit more physical I like Kentucky to cover this one. I'm going to go Kentucky 76, UAB 56. So that's UK and the over. And I will say the holiday weekend crowd, do you think it's good or do you think it's not? I mean, you're dealing with the holiday weekend. I know they're getting the twofer because the Kentucky basketball Saturday night, Kentucky football Saturday day, but I, I don't know. I think it's good. I think a lot of uh, UK fans just make okay. it a family out and right. they okay. may, may even ha- do Thanksgiving right, give, dinner outside the arena. Give me your score pick again. That was 76-56, Kentucky and the over. Kentucky and the over. All right. All right. So then on Saturday at noon, we've got Lipscomb at Xavier. The Musketeers are 17-point favorites. The total is 135. I think Xavier has a little malaise, from the, a little hangover from the tournament. They're going to win. It's, it's going to look ugly. You're going to grumble at times. You may stand clapping for the first three or four minutes when they can't make a shot, so everybody will be still clapping for, for a while. You may be clapping through the first TV timeout. Um, you hope that's not the case. I don't, I don't, I don't think Xavier <laughs> even does that anymore, do they? I don't know. They did I it last year when I went. Oh, do that? I, I thought maybe they traded the barking out for that. I no. haven't noticed as much if they're clapping this <laughs> okay. year. I'll go Xavier 70, or 69-57. Comfortable win, not a pretty win. Xavier and the under. Skinny, what do you think about the barking for uh, three I don't, second yeah, stops? I'm not, I'm I could see you getting yeah, up I'm not barking. a big guy. The kill. In the kill. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I uh, actually don't think they'll have a hangover in this game necessarily. Um but I don't think Xavier is going to score a lot either to hit that over. So I like Xavier to cover. I'm going to go Xavier 75, Lipscomb 56. So it's XU and the under. Uh, XU has been paying on the under pretty frequently. Yes, yes, indeed. Saturday at 5 p.m., the Norse traveling to Arkansas. 
The Razorbacks are favored by 15. The total is 135. Before we get to this game, Norse, about where you'd expect right now under Darren Yeah, Lindford's it's weird, coach? though. That the win at Ball State was really nice, and the loss to Texas Southern was a little disappointing. So you yeah. trade those two off, and then, yes, I think they are about where you thought they'd be. Right, and Texas Southern is such an interesting case always because they play all these bye games against high-major teams on the road to start their season, yep. and their metrics look God off. They do start the year, but then you find out. Well, they've got all these transfers. Their new pieces trying to fit together. Some of them have played on certain games. Others haven't been eligible to play right. for whatever right. reason. Um, and that was the case. You know, one of their best players, preseason all swag guy, didn't start the game. Didn't play the first half against NKU. Then comes in and plays the second half. So God knows what happened there to uh, to cause that. But I think that Texas Southern loss when they get into swag play. All of a sudden, that'll look a whole lot yeah, better because yeah. it'll be towards the top of that conference. They've got a lot of size and athleticism. I'm I'm thinking that NKU is right about where you'd expect, especially when you factor in the fact that Jalen Tate isn't playing for right, him right now. Right. And he missed that Texas Southern. Right, so I'll let you pick first. By the way, congratulations for those that maybe don't know. Rick is now the color analyst on NKU Radio Broadcast, so congratulations for that. Thank you very much. Yeah. I'm, I'm really excited. It, it's been a lot of fun to start so far calling the last two games. But... And you make the trip to Fayetteville. I am going to be making this trip. I will be on the call. Um, And why not? I'm going to go with the homer pick. They hired me, so we'll roll with them here. I think NKU gets the cover. I'm going to say Arkansas 77, NKU 63. Arkansas's defense is fantastic. It's been elite. But they held Texas Southern to, what, 46, I believe, maybe 43. But they're not great offensively. No, so I'm going not. to say that NKU can get the cover. Um, and for some reason, I'm going with the over here because that's just what I came up with when the score came out. Yeah, I think NKU is going to have a really hard time scoring. If that defense is as good as it looks, at least against teams of this caliber, I think NKU, NKU I think, has got some offensive challenges as it is, especially without Jalen Tate. I'll go Arkansas. You're going to hate me for this. Arkansas 70 to 49. I don't think NKU gets to the 50 number. That's fair. I mean, look, they're going to have to hit some outside shots to get to that number because one, they average 33 point right, attempts per right, game anyway. Right. And second of all, against this Arkansas defense, which is number one in the country in three point defense, um, you better hit some open no shots doubt. when you get them no because doubt. they don't come very often. And that brings us to our final game of the segment and the podcast and everything else in life. UNLV at Cincinnati. The Bearcats are favored by 14 points. The total is 136. That game is Saturday at 7 p.m. If that line is 14 points, I may have to make a special trip to go to go wager it. I, I, I just don't, don't see UC covering a double-digit number at this point. I don't know how anybody logically could. Vegas is actually pretty good. Um, I don't think they're great. They're not the UNLV we may remember at times over their three decades or four decades of basketball, but they're still pretty good. I'll go UC to win it. By seven. I'll go Bearcats 67 60. So Vegas in the under. All right. You got a little bit higher scoring than I do, but I think that line's about right. I'm I'm definitely under the Ken Palm line here as well. I'm going UC 73, UNLV 68. So that's UNLV and the over. I'm with you, though. I just don't think that Vegas line is going to look the same as the Ken Palm line. Yeah, I can't imagine it's going to be 14 points. But that's what we roll with, because that's how we had to do it. Hey, we want to thank Chad Brendel from BearcatJournal.com for checking in, talking UC basketball, UC football. Should be a great Thanksgiving weekend. Enjoy it with your family, your loved ones, and all of that good stuff. Enjoy the turkey. Try to stay awake. If you can watch some of the football, it should be a great. It's always a great sports weekend. So it is. Uh, this is going to be one of the better ones. I'm thankful for sports. I'm thankful for you, Skinny. I'm thankful for this podcast. No, this time we spend together every week. Don't make me cry, Rick. Okay. Please don't make me cry. For Rick Broering is about to make me cry. It's getting dusty. I'm Richard here. Skinner. This has been the Skinny Podcast, the Popery Edition, presented by Joseph Chevrolet. <laughs>